going to make a CD someday. I really do. It's, or you're just going to come live at our house. I'm not sure which. God is good. Uh, I just want to take a moment to introduce our speaker this morning, our preacher. Many of you know Nelson. Uh, Nelson has been here long before I ever was. And uh, Nelson, that still means you're a young guy because you just turned a new year recently. But uh, Nelson serves as a major in the Army as a chaplain. And uh, Nelson and I, when I first came, almost it's been three ministry years in April. It'll be two full years this coming April. When I first met Nelson, within two and a half weeks, three weeks after I came, Nelson was out the door. But I think our relationship really started because the, if you could see the email chains that we had about life and ministry, every other day, Nelson and I were writing each other, him more than me, because I, uh, I was the slow poke in the bit, and Nelson was the detail guy, and that's a good thing. So, yeah, exactly. That's how it goes. But Nelson serves as a major, but more than that, he's a brother, a member here. Many of you have heard him preach before. Uh, he's coming to preach. And you say, Darren, didn't we just have a guest preacher two weeks ago, three weeks ago? We did. Uh, this was planned many times in advance. But again, it's good for you to hear from more than one voice so that you can be encouraged by what God is doing in other people's lives. And Nelson's message he's going to bring today, I know, will encourage you, will challenge you. And uh, Nelson, I don't have any jokes to tell on you because you're just a good guy. So I'll let that be what it is. So Nelson, brother, why don't you come on up and uh, why don't you share God's word with us this morning? Nobody else can talk, Adam. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. Um, the last time I preached, it was at the Zone 6 Blended Service Chapel. It was, a, you may have seen the pictures, um, it's a tent. It's a, a tent with a, they put a laminate floor down and they sprayed a foam on it to harden the tent. But it was still a tent and uh, quite dusty and, and dirty. Um, but nobody's carrying any weapons. I see, I don't, well, you might be. Um, I did go to church in Texas, so I do know people carry weapons to church. They had, they had a church fellowship was go out to the range and go, let's go shooting. Um, so I was like, we, we, we might try that someday. I don't know. Um, so but it's good to be home. I mean, it, it was. It wasn't quite two years, but did two deployments back to back. Why? Because during the first deployment, I said, God... I need endurance to get through this deployment. <laughs> and God said, okay, let's give you some endurance. Uh, so, I mean, if, if you want to be able to run farther and faster, like, you know, it's like, hey, I, I've never ran. Well, you start running. You can't run a 5K until you've run one mile. You can't run a half marathon until you've run a 10K. You know, you got to work up to it. And I said, God, I need some endurance. He said, okay. I said, God, I want more, have more of a heart, more feelings, because I'm sometimes kind of, I feel emotionless. And so he gave me anxiety to the degree I've never had before. And where, you know, I'm literally shaking. It's like, God, I just, why? I wasn't doing anything. You know, and I would literally sit in my room with a hymnal and just sing. By myself. I'm a major. I had a room to myself most of the time. Um, it's good to get promoted once in a while. Um, and I could do that. Because that's one thing about deployment. Privacy goes downhill real fast. Because most of the time you have to share your quarters. And at times I did have to share quarters. And then the bathrooms are all communal. <laughs> you know, you got you to you go in there and there's a... At the minimum of three showers. I've been in one, I was at one place, Lone Latrine, one shower, and there were literally 20 showers in there. 
And it was, you know, it's so much for privacy. The sinks lined up against the wall. And so it's hard. I mean, so when you think about soldiers, I mean, and I was in Kuwait. I was in Qatar. That's no, those aren't war zones. I could go to the mall. They're Starbucks. I saw a Ponderosa Steakhouse. When was the last time you saw one here? There's one in Doha, Qatar. I went to Texas Roadhouse in Kuwait City. You know, so in, in some ways it wasn't as rough. I got to visit Iraq. I got to visit Afghanistan. I went to Af- Afghanistan one week after the suicide bombing they had there last fall. And all the soldiers that were killed was in a brigade that belonged to us. They all were together. They're getting ready to do a 5K fun run. And the commander said, hey, everybody come over. And he was going to give him a pep talk. And when he called them all over to give him the pep talk, that's when the suicide bomber blew up and killed his soldiers. He was wounded. Not bad enough to be evacuated, but he was wounded. How do you talk to a man like that? Is it his fault? How do we talk to people? How do we deal with life? Life is hard. You know, life is hard. Stuff happens. We get sick. We get diseases. People we love get sick, get diseases. Car wrecks. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes it's our own fault through our own decisions. Sometimes it's not. How do we deal with people? What do we do? There's no easy answers. As a chaplain, people come and sit in my office and say, chaplain, and they tell me how awful life is. It's interesting. When I'm at home and I talk to soldiers, I talk to spouses, and their, spou- their, so- their spouse is deployed, and I find out how awful soldiers are while they're deployed. And then when I'm deployed, soldiers come talk to me, and I find out how awful spouses are while they're deployed. <laughs> Sometimes we're all awful. So humor me for a second. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Look into your mirror, the one at home. Look into your mirror. Who do you see? Who are you? When you look into that mirror, who is staring back at you? Do you see a child of God? If Jesus Christ has come into your life and transformed you, then you are a new creature. Do you see that new man, that new woman? made in the image of God? Or do you see a dirt bag? Maybe you see God's gift to the world. You see a self-made man, a self-made woman. You don't need God. You have you. Who are you? Are you a parent? A spouse? Maybe you call yourself a mechanic, a lawyer, a teacher. You don't need God. Maybe some other job title. Maybe you think yourself as a nobody. Who are you? We're going to be in 1 Peter this morning. So let's stand as we read God's holy scripture. Turn to 1 Peter. It's in the New Testament. It's towards the end. It's after the book of Hebrews. If you have your pew Bible, it's on page 1014. I'm going to be reading from this little green book that's kind of beat up. It's the Holman Christian Standard. So it's slightly different than yours, but it's actually not too different. But this is the Bible that's went with me on three deployments now. And so I use it. 
that's kind of beat up, and it's kind of open to First Peter. First Peter has kind of been on my heart for the past couple of years. I'm going to start reading verses 1 and 2, then I'm going to skip down to verse 14. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents of the dispersion in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know, that's kind of a mouthful. You know what? Let, let, I'm going to take some license and reword that just a little bit. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents of the Dispersia, to the residents of um, Kansas City, Clay Como, Gladstone, Pleasant Valley, Randolph, Missouri, Kansas. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Down to verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let me do those two verses again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a mighty and a precious God. You are holy. Show us your holiness. Show us how we are holy. As we take a few minutes to examine your word, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we may be of your service, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Adam, turn down the bass. I think that's what's called might be causing a problem. Might have to turn off the other microphones, too. What is Peter saying? Is he telling you that you are holy? Telling you to be holy because God is holy? Is he giving you a command to do something? Or is he telling you that because God is holy, therefore you are already declared holy? Is it a command to follow or a declaration to believe? Because the wording is kind of unclear. Your Bible's, you know, my, my translation says, be holy. The ESV says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, I'm a big believer. If you don't understand what one verse says, read all the verses around it. First Peter is a short book. You know, in my Bible, it's four and a half pages. Depending on the printing, it may be less. So we could just read all of 1 Peter. Well, we're, we're almost going to do that. So what if this is a command? If it's a command, then Peter will list actions for you to do, attitudes to change. So keep your Bible open. Get your fingers lingered up. Keep those apps open. We're going to look at some scripture this morning. So we're going to just go up a couple verses. Look at verse 13 there in chapter 1. Therefore, 
Get your minds ready for action. Be self-disciplined. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Are you ready for action? Have you been training? Have you been preparing? Yes, you. You, not Darren. Not all the seminary students that are here preparing for ministry. Not the missionaries that are in Africa or South America or India. You. Are you preparing for action? Are you training? Are you getting ready to do the work of God? When Peter wrote this letter, he wasn't writing to a pastor's conference. He was writing to you. Peter didn't know anything about Kansas City. God did. Peter never heard of Tower View Baptist Church, basically because nobody was here yet. God did. He knew we were reading 1 Peter today when Peter wrote this. Look down at verse 17. And if you would... And if you address as father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you, will, you are to conduct yourselves in reference during this time of temporary residence. Even as a Christian, your works will be judged. Your words, your attitudes will be judged. How? Why? I don't know, but Paul talks about it too in his writings. It's talked about in Revelation. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It matters the attitudes that you have. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you training? I pray the answer is yes. I pray if it's not, that maybe this will spur you. So let's prepare. Let's start getting ready. It's looking at what's going on. So let's look down at verse 22. Is this a command to follow? Verse 22, it says, by obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It says, having purified. You having purified yourselves. Being pure is being holy. Holiness is, is synonymous with purity. In the Old Testament, Israelites were called to consecrate themselves many times. Consecrate is a synonym for holiness. Make yourself holy. That's what consecrate means. Also, sanctify. You read the word sanctify. Make yourself holy. Joshua told the Israelites, you have to consecrate themselves for three days before they could cross the Jordan River and enter the promised land. Three days. That's how big an issue it is to be holy. We are meeting in a sanctuary, a holy place. You are called saints, holy ones, holy people. When you talk about, when you read the word sanctify, it means to be made holy. Sanctification, the process of being made holy. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. If something is sacred, that's a, that's a part of the same word. It's something that's holy. Verse 22, you're called to purify yourselves. 
You look down just a couple more. I'm just going to buzz through this book. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. So rid yourselves of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Get rid of that stuff so you can be holy. Get rid of all that dirt garbage. Clean it out. Down in verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents to abstain from fleshy desires that weren't against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Actions for you to take. Conduct yourselves. He urges you as temporary residents. You notice he keeps using that, temporary residents. We're temporary. We're aliens here. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. That sounds like a tune could go to that, doesn't it? <laughs> no matter if you live here on earth and you live to be 105 years old and you live and it's the most miserable existence you've ever had, you've had every disease, painful disease, people around you treat you like garbage, <laughs> they lie to you and cheat on you, you're in pain constantly, you suffer from diseases. What is that to an eternity in heaven? As a different song says, after you've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, what's a few miserable years here? <coughs> Purify yourselves. Abstain from fleshly desires. As you keep going down through chapter 2, you see the word in, in verse 13, you see the word submit. In verse 18, you see submit yourselves. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says submit yourselves. Submit, submit, submit to somebody. Everybody has to submit to somebody, sometimes more than one somebody. But godly submission is not slavery. It's different. We've, we've corrupted that word. We've corrupted that concept. Godly submission. You keep going through this book, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, be compassionate and humble. Chapter 4, verse 7, it says, be clear-headed and disciplined. Chapter 4, verse 9, it says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Chapter 5, verse 2, it says, he's, written to, he's writing to the shepherds of the flock among you. He says, shepherd the flock. Be examples to the flock. So now he's talking to Darren. He said, leaders, shepherd the flock. You future seminary, you seminary students, future ministers, shepherd the flock. Be a godly example. He's talking to you. So if you're not a shepherd, if you're not an elder, you can skip that, those, two, those two verses. That's it. Not the rest of them. In chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, you may ex so that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares about you. Younger men, be subject to your elders. All of you, close yourselves with humility toward one another. All right, look around you. Right now, literally look around you. Look at people around you. Look at their eyes. Look at the people three rows behind you. If you're in the back, look at the people three rows in front of you. Look to the people on the other side of the aisle from you. Look at them. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are to act humbly towards those people you just looked at. You are to act humbly towards them. They are your family. 
Darren mentioned last week that the cross is inconvenient. Holiness is a part of your cross. It's inconvenient and comfortable to be humble to certain people. There are certain people you look at and it's like, I don't want to be humble to that person. Do you know what they didn't do? Do you see what they're wearing? Do you hear what they said? I've seen what they posted on Facebook. Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. I don't know, but I want to... Do you know who they voted for? (laughs) How could they vote for that person? (laughs) Treat them humbly, even as if they voted for the wrong person. The cross is inconvenient. We are called into a nature of holiness, to be humble and submissive to one another. (laughs) To humble yourselves. Why does it say there in verse 7, casting your cares upon him because he cares about you. He cares about you. He cares what you do. Like an overprotective parent, he cares about what you say. He cares about where you say it. He cares about where you go. He cares about the websites you visit. He cares about the movies you see. He cares about the music you listen to. He cares about the attitude you have to one another. He cares about you. There is nothing in your life that is off limits to God. Nothing. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. There is nothing in your life that is off limits to God. So it seems that this is a command to follow. Be holy because I am holy. Do holy things. Be a, have a holy life. On the other hand, what if it's a declaration? What if it's a a declaration that says you are holy? So flip back to the beginning of 1 Peter. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to the temporary residence of Kansas City, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. Your translation says, in the sanctification. Remember your English class? Look at who's the subject, who's the object here, who's doing the work. God is doing the work. God is doing the sanctifying. Do the foreknowledge. According to the foreknowledge, set apart. Being holy means you are set apart. My translation says, uses the word set apart which is another way to translate sanctification, being sanctified. You were set apart. When something is holy, you set it apart for special use. In the Old Testament, the temple was holy. It was consecrated. It was sanctified. It was a holy place. Only the priests and Levites could enter the temple. It wasn't like a church like we have where everybody shows up. You cannot go into the temple. 
Only the priests and Levites could go inside the temple building. And only if they had religious duties to perform. It wasn't a place for them to hang out and get away from the crowds. It wasn't a break room. It was a holy place. Only certain people could go into it at certain times. If you read back in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, King Uzziah, he's the king. Kings can do what they want, right? Not when you're a godly king, no. King Uzziah thought, well, I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to do the priest work for them. So if you've ever been to a Catholic church, you know people go into Catholic churches and they light candles for prayers or incense. Well, they did, Israel did that too. It wasn't, Catholics didn't make that up. They had, they had lamps and incense that was burnt inside every day inside the temple. King Uzziah decided he was going to go do it. And he went to the temple. The high priest, along with 80 other priests, confronted him and said, he said this, quote, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests leave the sanctuary. There's those words again, consecrated, sanctuary. For you have acted unfaithfully. You, you will not receive honor from the Lord. But did that convince him? No. He became enraged. Because how dare you tell me no? Just like a toddler, right? He became enraged at them. You know what calmed his rage down? Leprosy immediately broke out on his forehead. Not only did he have to leave the temple, because if you had leprosy, you could not be inside the temple complex at all, inside or outside the building. He, not only did he have to leave the temple, he had to move out of his palace. He had to live alone. He had to give up the reign of the kingdom to his son. Because to be a leper meant you were unclean, which is the exact opposite of holiness. He lost it all because of his pride and arrogance, because he did not honor God's holiness. God had made that temple holy. God made those priests holy. He consecrated them. And King Uzziah ignored that. The priests were set apart for their service in the temple and, and at the altar. The king was set apart to reign the kingdom and to submit to the priests. They had separate duties. Each is holy. Each was holy. Like the priests of the Old Testament, you are set apart. Once each year, the priests could go into the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. The temple had two rooms. They had the big room, which had an altar table where they put bread every day, and they had incense in there, and they had the lamp stands with all the lights on it, which looks like a menorah where Hanukkah came from. And then there was a back room, a smaller room. It only contained one object, the Ark of the Covenant. And a priest, and there was a veil, a, a big curtain that hung up in front of it. And the priest could only go in there one time a year. And only when he had the blood of a sacrifice to go with him. 
means, and what does Peter say here in verse 2? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been sprinkled with the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ by God the Father. Not by a priest, not by a preacher. By God the Father. With the blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't do that. God did. God has set you apart and made you holy. For what purpose? Look down at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope with the res- through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Look what God has done for you. He has given you a new birth. So it says there, a new birth, a living hope. Not, I hope Santa gets it for me. A hope that you can bank on, that you trust on, that you know will be there. He's given you something that's imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading. An inheritance. Maybe you ever get an inheritance? Maybe you got some money. Do you have any of it left? Maybe you got a house. Is it falling apart or did you sell it? You have to keep maintaining it. Inheritance, they're just as corruptible as anything else. But God's inheritance, uncorrupted, imperishable, unfading. God did it, not you. Why? Because God is holy. Look down in verse 22 again. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for the sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly with a, from a pure heart. Since, continuing on, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached at the gospel to you. The word of the Lord endures forever. My words won't endure. They might be recorded right now, but someday that recording will be lost. Their internet will go away. Whether it's in the last days because God did it or a solar flare fries all our computers. Someday it'll go away. But God's word's enduring. Think about how much this has endured since it was written. Peter wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago. They didn't have Xerox machines but we still have it. You can go back and look through archaeology and they have pieces of this letter that are a thousand years old, 1,500 years old. They found manuscripts within 100 and 200 years of the life of Jesus. The church fathers quoted these scriptures so much that you can pretty much put the whole Bible together just from the writing of the church fathers who wrote in the second and third century. This letter hasn't changed. God's word is enduring. Salvation has made you holy. 
faith in Jesus, coming to Christ, that's what sets you apart because what God did. Be holy because I am holy. Well, you say, well, that's just the introduction to the letter. What about the rest of it? You just read a whole bunch where Peter commands you to do stuff. Well, keep looking. Verse, down and look at chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are being built into a spiritual house. Are you doing the building? No. God's doing the work. How is he using you? You're just a, you're just a brick. You're a godly brick, but you're still a brick. Wives, quit nudging your husband when you say that. <laughs> but you're a copy. God's doing the building. You're not. God's doing the work. He's building you into his temple, into his work, not our own. Look down at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You, have not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen race. You didn't do the choosing. God did. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look all the work God is doing there. He's declaring you holy. He's declaring you special. He's declaring you royal. He's declaring you chosen. He gave you mercy. You didn't grab it. Look down at verse 24, still in chapter 2. He bore himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed. By his wounding, you have been healed. And he pretty much repeats that in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, for the righteous, for the unrighteous. Christ is the righteous, you're the unrighteous. That he may bring you to God, and after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. God did it. His wounding, you've been healed. Be holy because I am holy. He ends this letter with another reminder from God of God making you holy. Go back go back to chapter 5, verse 10. Now the grace of God, now the God of all grace who called you to eternal life in Christ Jesus will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. God's going to do it. Look at all the things that God's going to do. He's going to restore. He's going to establish. He's going to strengthen. He's going to support you, even if you have to suffer. And Peter was talking about persecution suffering. 
not just the sufferings of normal everyday life. As awful as it is, cancer is just a suffering of normal everyday life. Even though cancer took my mother many years ago. Diabetes, car accidents, anything, any other catastrophe, tornadoes, floods, those are normal everyday life. If you live in other parts of the world, you've got to worry about volcanoes and tsunamis, hurricanes. Those are normal, everyday life. The sufferings, when you read through Peter, we're not going to cover it today, he talks about suffering over and over again. He's talking about suffering for Christ. People who arrest you and put you in jail because of Christ. People who beat you up and assault you for Christ. People who rape your daughter because of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about real suffering. We don't have to face that here. Not yet. Not much. You might have to face some ridicule. Oh, you're one of those guys. It's coming. Seems to be coming. If you're a business owner, you may see it sooner. Some businesses have. Talk to Christians in China and see how, how they're suffering. When a pastor who leads a church has his house bulldozed because he refuses to give all the names of his parishioners to the government. When a mob comes in in Mosul and burns your house down or takes it because you're not, you refuse to follow Mohammed. Or they just take your money and take your stuff. Hold your family ransom. Or chop their head off. Where it's illegal to even have a Bible in Saudi Arabia. You can in Kuwait, that's fine. That's suffering. We're having a meeting like this. You have to do it in the middle of the night in the darkness so nobody sees that you're coming and make sure we all come and go Eve over time so people don't notice a, a group meeting. That's suffering for the Lord. Be holy because I am holy. Where did Peter get that phrase? Did he make it up? No, he's quoting the Old Testament. Flip back in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. Matthew, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third, the third book. In, in, in the Pew Bibles, you're going to go to page 90. Leviticus chapter 11. I didn't bookmark it, so I'm flipping to. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Like I said, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 90. For I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. You are not to defile yourselves by, eating, by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy. Once again, God's doing the work. 
I took you out of the land of Egypt, a form of salvation. God's doing the work. And in this particular verse, he's talking about animals and things that are clean and unclean, what you can eat, what you can't eat, to be holy. But this isn't the only time. He says this multiple times to Leviticus. Be holy because I am holy. That's where Peter got it from because he read through the book of Leviticus. Be holy because God says that over and over again. He Over and over he says, consecrate, consecrate, consecrate. Consecrate the priests, consecrate the Levites, consecrate this offering, consecrate the temple, consecrate the tabernacle. Over and over again. But he also repeats, be holy because I am holy. The parallels between what is in Leviticus and what Peter is not an accident. He took what he read and he wrote a sermon down. That's what it is. First Peter is a sermon. God has not changed from the Old Testament to the New. God is on his throne doing the work of salvation, showing mercy, and sanctifying you, just like he did the Israelites way back when. God has not changed. So Peter meant it as a declaration for you to believe, to be holy, because God has made you holy. Okay, Nelson, now you've said both of them. Make up your mind. So is it a command or is it a declaration? Yes, it is. It's a both and. And so if you look in your bulletin, you see the big idea. Because God has made you holy, you are to do everything possible to live a holy life. You don't be holy so you can get saved. You do holy things because God has saved you and made you holy. It's the chicken or the egg, but you've got to get the right one first. People have tried to be holy throughout the centuries, tried to look good, tried to look, you know, act right. That's not what saves you. God saves you. Through your faith, through your repentance, through your belief, God saves you. But God's doing the work. He is the one making you holy. You're not making yourself holy. God the Father has sprinkled the blood of Jesus on you. You are clean because God has made you clean. You belong to God because God has showed you mercy. And some of you may be asking, but but what about my sin that I know I still have? You know what? God knows your sin. He knows it better than you do. He knows what's in the dark corners of your life. You may keep it a secret from your parents, from your best friend, from your spouse, but God knows. And he loves you anyway. There is no cave that is too dark for, to hide from God, for in the darkness it's bright as day to God. There is no pit that is too deep for God. There is no mountain too high that God cannot climb to find you. There is no desert too dry. There is no ocean too wet. You cannot hide from God. And God cannot and will not lose you. 
you were not forgotten. Romans chapter 8 is all about what God has done. Romans chapter 8, in the past couple of years, I've read it over and over and over again because it's all about what God has done. In Romans 8, it starts off, Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation in Jesus. As you continue down through there, verse 17 says, You are co-heirs with Christ, so that we may be glorified with Jesus. Co-heirs. But remember what Peter said. He said, be holy because I am holy. Because God has made you holy, you are to do everything possible to live a holy life. The end of um, Romans 8, starting in verse 31, says this. What, are, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will, he all. how will he not also with him grant us everything? We need not get everything on this world, but everything that heaven has to offer. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies the person on your left and right, sitting in front of you or behind you, they can't condemn you. Neither can that person that stares back at you in the mirror. That person can't condemn you either. You are a child of God. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand and intercedes for us. Who can separate us? From the love of Christ. Can affliction? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords or machine guns or suicide bombers or governments? Can they separate us from the love of God? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen.